How are you all tonight? I don't know if uh, I know you heard the news that Danny made mention that um, Sam Rhodes, who's been a bass player for us and uh, been a part of the ministry that I've had for all these many years, has gone to be with the Lord today. And so we are a little less of a church than we were a couple hours ago, but uh, I would trade places with him straight across and uh, get to be where he is right now. So um, just thought we'd let you know. I know Danny already mentioned and uh, just wanted to say it to to you as well. Uh, He was a beloved, beloved person. We loved him very, very much. Would you turn with me, please, in your Bibles to a very, very interesting place within the Word of God. It has much to say to us today if we read and teach it correctly. We're in a place in Scripture where, as you remember last week, Paul performed great and wonderful miracles by the hand of God. God moved, and Paul received the blessings of seeing people uh, uh, just get healed and spirits, evil spirits leave them and all of those things. And what we are going to study today within the Word of God is how Some will try to come after Paul, after seeing these things happening over and over and over again through Peter, through Jesus Christ, and through Paul. You can search scripture, but basically those are the three people that you'll see that these things happened in and through their lives. But there were always charlatans. There were always those that would come alongside and try to duplicate what the Lord was doing. It's going to say a lot to you and me today concerning the specific gifts that we have. Each of you has been given a particular gift. That gift has been given to you for the purpose that only God knows. God has a specific plan for your life. Only God knows. He wants to use you because... He thought enough about you and me the the moment we came to Christ that he would give us a spiritual gift, a miraculous spiritual gift to use and to use for his glory. And what he is going to do in and through your gift, only, only he really knows the outcome of it all. Who you and I might impress, who you and I might lead or bring to Christ, whether it is someone who shares verbally the word of God or someone who just does a kind deed that allows someone to think and, and, and look more kindly towards this faith that you and I have. And that person might be the one person that God is going to use in the link of doing what he is going to do in and through this world in which we live. So you don't know, I don't know, but all we are asked of in this walk that we have as believers in Jesus Christ is to be faithful to attempt to use the gift that he so miraculously has given to us. And so that's kind of what we are going to take a look at today in this place in Scripture because it is quite an astonishing place. Next week, we are going to show you, the the student ministry went on a a summer uh, trip. They had a ball. And we're going to show you uh, pictures of it next week and recap what took place. And we were going to do it this week, couldn't pull it off, and we're going to do it for you next week. And you'll want to see the fun that those young people are having. Out in the foyer, 
is a brochure, hot off the press. It's concerning women's ministries. Ladies and gentlemen, if you want to pick one up and hand it to uh, some woman that you know or uh, might want to uh, invite to our church or invite to some of the ministries that we have, inside of this brochure are all the ministries that are going on for the women this, this coming year. I guess it's all this year. Is it all the year? And so I would encourage all of you to pick one up. Hand it to a woman, hand it to a lady friend, or ladies, you take it for yourself, just to remind yourself of what's going on within our church this particular um, year. So this is very important. Please, please pick one up. Now, turn with me to Acts chapter 19. In Acts chapter 19, God is going to, or has done, great and wonderful things through Paul. Remember last week we read these last two verses of the message, verses 11 and 12 of chapter 19. It says, and God, note that reference, that God was performing extraordinary miracles. He was using Paul by the hands of Paul. And so when you read that and you look at it, you want to note that God is doing this. Whatever is happening, it is because God is doing it, not Paul. He has chosen to use Paul. Put that in your heart. There is a ministry, there is a spiritual gift, there is a miraculous gift that you have been given by God. And God wants to use you to perform extraordinary miracles. Verse 12 says, so that handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from Paul's body to the sick, the diseases left them and evil spirits went out. Now over and over again we have taught, and I believe correctly so, that the miracles were done so as to put validity upon the person who was proclaiming the word of God at that time. Today, the miracles do not happen in the same fashion because this gives validity to you and me concerning what does God want to say into your heart, into your life, and we are to use this, the Word of God, and miracles will follow after it, but not, not necessarily with the proportions that had happened in those days. So as I've said a couple of weeks now, you can look at the book of Acts, but you cannot take the theology that is presented there in Acts, and suppose that it will work today in our society in which we live today. And that is a tremendous mistake that many make. They see what is happening in the book of Acts and they say, ah, that's for the church today. Ah, that's not true. And you need to put it in perspective. Always put the word of God into perspective. When God makes something happen in and through your life, it is always a miracle. But when but what we're going to see today is when you or I or human beings try to make the miraculous happen, it falls short. The miracles that God allowed Paul to do had a threefold purpose in those days. Let's read verses 11 to 20, and let me explain to you what those purposes are, 
And let me explain to you how you and I are therefore to fall in line with the gifts that you and I have been given so God can do miracles in and through your or my life. Verse 11, God was performing extraordinary, extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. Verse 12 says, so that handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and evil spirits went out. Verse 13 tells us, but also some of the Jewish exorcists who went from place to place attempted to name over those who had the evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus saying, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. It says seven sons of one Siva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. Verse 15 tells us, An evil spirit answered and said to them, I recognize Jesus, and I know about Paul. Who are you? Verse 16 says, The man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them and subdued all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. This became known to all, both Jews and Greeks who lived in Ephesus. And fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus Christ was being magnified. Verse 18 tells us, Many also of those who had believed kept coming, confessing, and disclosing their practices. And many of those who practiced magic brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of all. They counted up the price of them and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. Verse 20 ends this section of scripture by saying, And so the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. Jesus told, we'll pray in a second. Jesus told the disciples, look, upon this rock, in other words, upon his name, he's going to build his church. And the gates of hell will not overpower it. This is a pure example of that. This is a pure example of someone trying to, like a charlatan, like a, a, a phony, trying to use the name of God for their own purpose. To conjure up something that might make other people think, oh, wow, how special are they? And folks, you and I are seeing this across Christendom today. There are people who try to take advantage of sick and poor and very distressed and, and people who are going through very difficult times and use the name of Jesus Christ for their own benefit, saying that they can do the miraculous for them if they'll just come and have enough faith. And that premise, that thought has hurt more people, well, maybe this is an overstatement because I have no basis to make this kind of a statement, but it has hurt so many people of the faith who had trusted in a healer, trusted in a person who was going to pray for them and make them better. And when they didn't get better, they, they came back to these people and they said, you just don't have enough faith and it, it just destroys them from within. I don't want that to happen to any single one of us. I want us to look at our lives and, and suppose that, that, that God is going to do what God is going to do in his good time, not ours. You and I have got to come 
to the realization, Christendom has got to come to the realization that this life in which we live is not all about us. This life that you and I live is all about our Savior. We have been called out amongst a perverse generation of people. You and I have been called out to serve Him. And we do not, because He's our Lord, we do not tell Him what to do, how to do it, and when to do it. We just watch Him work miracles in our midst in his good time and allow him to do what he seems best. Today, when I got the call from Danny, Sam died. My spirit leaped within me. I felt a joy. My first reaction was, praise God, he's not... Because I would sit over there and I would watch him just deteriorate. And I was watching him getting more and more hurt and tired. And and just it was hard for him to to function. But he would not miss church. He would not miss. He served the Lord till his last moment. And for us to say, wow, I wish he was still back here. For us to say, you know, that he would go through this difficulty that he's going through. No, I would trade places with him in in a minute. Second. But I wrestle with the same thing that Paul mentions. I love being here with you, though. Yeah, as I get older, I have aches and pains. Don't you? Some of you don't yet. I do. My knees hurt right now. Right now, while I'm standing, I'm talking to you. My knees hurt. But I'd rather be with you right now than be with the Lord. For me to live is Jesus Christ. Same for you. To die is only gain. It only gets better. And so what God wants to do in and through your life and my life is so that we understand the word of God with such sincerity and an understanding that we don't pervert what he is doing in and through the church. And that's what the lesson is today through these these seven sons of Siva who try to manipulate God. And the evil spirit attacks them. Let's pray. Let's let's let the Lord minister to our hearts this evening. Father, please, would you do us the greatest favor? Please, dear Father, open up our eyes and our hearts, our minds, our spirit, that we might behold wonderful things from your word, that it might move within us and, 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 and make us logical Christians who, who do not pervert the word of God, but understand it and live upon it. And in so doing, may we, Father, honor you with this life that you've given us. The more we understand, may it be the more and more we serve you with the joy of watching you do what you're going to do in and through us and not try to manipulate you. Just let you be our God. Move me aside, please, dear Father. Hide the one that gives this message behind the wonders of your word. Let none of us seek credit that belongs to you and you alone. 
May none of us try to manipulate you, Father. May we just watch your miraculous hand at work. And as like you did with Paul, may you perform extraordinary miracles by our hands, if it be your will, Father. So, Lord, we come here tonight to thank you. Thank you for uh, Sam. Thank you for those dear relatives and loved ones that we too have uh, seen go to be with you, Father. Just watch over each of us, we pray. In Jesus' most precious name, amen. Three purposes for the miracles that took place. They'll always be the same. The first one, of course, was to demonstrate God's power and authority over a God-forsaken town like Ephesus. Satan had his stronghold there. And so God moves in, and as we learn from verses 18 and 19, many, many, it says in verse 18, who had believed kept coming and kept confessing and kept disclosing their practices. The word practice there means their uh, satanic or evil deeds. Verse 19 says, And many of those who practiced this magic brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of everyone. They, they counted up the price of them and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver that was burnt in books alone in that, that city called Ephesus that was plagued with demonism and evil practices. Which leads us to the second reason or the second purpose for miracles. It, it happens so that, verse 20, the word of the Lord will grow mightily and prevail. Miracles, and so importantly to God, the miracles gave authenticity to Paul and to those who Paul gathered around him so that his apostles and his spokespersons and his word was being magnified. In Mark chapter 16 and verse 20, if you want to, you may turn there, please. It's going to be really quick, so if I read it before you get there, please forgive me. But it just emphasizes that the word of God is, is used by attesting miracles. Watch. It says, They went out and they preached everywhere. Mark 16, verse 20, the first half of the verse. They went out and they preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them. And, here, this is the key, confirmed the word by signs that followed in Scripture, you'll note very, very often, if not always, signs followed the teaching and the preaching of the Word of God. It gave validity, it gave authority to the words that were spoken by those who spoke them. So signs followed, confirming the word that was spoken. Back to Acts chapter 19, thirdly, not only did the miracles happen to validate what Paul was saying, not only was it to demonstrate the power of God within Ephesus, but thirdly, it was given the miracles to display God's compassion and His mercy upon those who needed it. 
Verse 11, God, God, not Paul, God was performing extraordinary miracles. God used Paul. But never make mistake about it. God was the one who did the miracles, not Paul. Any one of us could have done it had God chosen to use us. He chose to use Paul. God did it by and through the hands of Paul. You remember how Paul and Barnabas reacted when they were in, in, a, in the city and in, in, in the Lyconia, the, the people there tried to make them gods. Look back on chapter 14, book of Acts. Just turn back a few pages to chapter 14. See if you can remember. We studied this. Remember how Paul and Barnabas reacted when the townspeople thought that they were some small gods, small uh, Zeus and, and Hermes? And, and the people gave them credit for what they had done. Look at Acts chapter 14, verse 11. When the crowds saw what Paul had done, they raised their voice, saying in the Lyconian language, the gods have become like men, and they've come down to us. They have now given to Paul and to Barnabas the stature of deity. And they began calling, it says in verse 12, Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes because Paul was the chief speaker. Verse 13 even tells us that the priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gate and wanted to offer sacrifices with the crowd. In other words, wanted to offer a sacrifice to Paul and to Barnabas, Zeus and Hermes. Verse 14 tells us, though, when, when, when the apostles, when Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their robes. They rushed out into the crowds and they began crying out and saying, Man, why are you doing this? We are also men of the same nature as you. In other words, we're no God. We're no gods here. We preach the gospel to you. Why? Why? so that you should turn from these vain things to a living God. In other words, the living God, it says at the end of verse 15, who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything that's in them. They, they tore the robes. They said, look, don't, don't honor us. I pray to you, I beg of you, don't honor anyone on staff here. For goodness sakes, don't honor the pastor. I mean, let's be friends. Let's really love one another. But don't, let's not put this place on a pedestal that, that whoever is behind this pulpit is some extraordinary individual who is more spiritual than you. God forbid. We are all in this together. Just different gifts. And woe to those pastors that you're a little puffed up. Ooh, you think I'm special? You have no idea how special I You know? Now, I, I love the fact that you love me. And I cherish it. I love when your kids come up and hug me. I hope that that happens till the day I die. And I love the fact that you hug me. But for God's sake, don't, don't, don't put more upon this pulpit than should be. We're all people of the same nature. We're all just trying 
to understand the Word of God so that we can be people of God who will function in this society in which we live. Now we come to the problem. And the problem is, there are those who want what Paul has. They want what only God can give. You see, the gift, the gift that you have been given, you must cherish it. Because God loves you. Look, if you have a special son or a daughter, and you want to give them something, you give it to them, whatever you give them, with a purpose in mind, to demonstrate to them how much you love them. And God is no different. He has given you and me a gift to show you how much He loves us. And there's nothing worse than to receive something and just put it aside i never forget, never forget, never forget as long as I live. This was not in my notes, but it is so relevant, so relevant. Was at an all-star game in New York, baseball game, a long time ago. Okay, you were there, remember? Um, uh, Rich DeVos. Were you there at that one? Rich DeVos. Rich DeVos was the man in his garage that started Amway. Rich DeVos was a multi Starts with a B, billionaire. And he was a believer and loved what we did in ministry. So, he invited us when we were in New York on his yacht. His yacht was parked in the harbor. It was as big as any boat out there. This guy's a billionaire. He could buy anything he wants. Used his money until this day. He uses his money to honor the Lord. So he has his yacht. He invites us. We get in a taxi, he takes us, we come to the yacht. Or did, they, did he send a limo for us? Might have sent a limo for us, which was cool. Here's all the all-star players, you know, waiting around. It was kind of rainy to go somewhere. And it says, a limo for Mr. and Mrs. Wurhaus and Mr. and Mr. Swanson. And we go, oh, yeah, that's our limo. <laughs> excuse me, Reggie. Excuse me, everybody. That's our limo. Are you, are you waiting for a taxi? I hope he comes. <laughs> So we get in this limo, if I remember correctly, and we go to the boat. Now this I do remember. The rest of the story I remember because it is so relevant. So relevant to gifts. So what do you give a guy that's a billionaire? He's going to ask us to be on this boat. We were going to have breakfast on his yacht. Which, by the way, Kay asked, what will you have? And the guy says, anything you want. Anything you want. So we get there, and what do you give him? Well, we were given these gift baskets being in the, for the All-Star Game, and in it was a, a mug, an All-Star Game mug, and a, a, an All-Star Game hat, you know, and a T-shirt and some other trinkets. So we give him an All-Star mug, <laughs> a coffee mug that says All-Star Game, New York. He opens it up and he says, and he, he's drinking coffee when we get on his boat, and he's, he's drinking some coffee in this wonderful cup of, of his, and he's drinking it. And we said, we'd we love to give you this, Rich, and thank you for inviting us for breakfast. Very kind of him. And he opens it up, and he says, wow, that's neat. And he goes, and he blew the dust out of it. He poured his coffee. He poured his coffee into that mug, put his cup aside, and drank out of that mug the rest of the day. Now, he probably threw it away that afternoon. <laughs> but you know how that made us feel? 
That man is still really nice. That he drank out of the mug. He didn't even wash it. I would have washed it. <laughs> he went, blew the dust out of it and poured his coffee in there and drank it. And I thought, what a kind thing to do. And that, that's kind of, rather than when the Lord gives you and me something that he thinks is special for us, that we just put it aside. Still use what we've been using instead of his gift. He has given you and me something that is magical. It is a miracle-making gift that you have. And God wants to use you. You see, the gift that you have been given by God, you can't duplicate it. You can't. You cannot covet what someone else has. So, I like that I have the gift of helps, but I prefer the gift of counseling or administration. So, give me this one over here. No, the gift that you have, given to you by God alone, is special. It is unique. It is given to you so that God can one day do a miracle in and through your hands by the gift that he has given you. And you, by the grace of God, can glorify his name by what happens. I was in a room one time with a bunch of uh, quote-unquote, and I used that, elders. And one of them said, you know, I've probably led in my lifetime, there was a little bit of tension in the room, and one of them said, I probably in my lifetime have led, no, I don't want to exaggerate, thousands of people to Christ. And I said, you haven't led a soul to Christ. Not one soul. God did it. You and I cannot get puffed out of, cannot get puffed up about what we do or do not do. In other words, you can't get discouraged because you're not doing as much as the next person and you can't get encouraged because you're doing more than the other person. It is God who chooses to use you for His glory. So God has given you a miraculous gift, folks, so that you might serve and you might bless Him and minister to His body, the church. I want you to see this. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I want to look at three verses. Verses 7, verses 11, and verse 18. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, I will wait till you get there because I want you to read it with your own eyes in your own Bible if you have one. Um, if not, use the Bible in front of you. And if you want that Bible or you like it, take it. It's yours. We'll, re- we'll replace it somehow, some way. I want you to have your own Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, it says that... Now, note, to how many... To how many? To each one of us. Each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit. For what reason? Verse 7, for the common good. It's talking about the common good within the body of Christ. Your gift, my gift, has been given to us so that we use it within these four walls. And so that within these four walls, we do what God has called us to do, and so that it can spin off into the world in which we live. Your gift and my gift wasn't given to us so that we can go out there on our own as, a, as an army of one and do whatever it is we're to do. God has asked us to, within the body of the church, to 
to collectively gather together our gifts so that we can go out with much more force. For the common good, your gift has been given to this church so as to bless this church so that this church hopefully does things correctly and will go out into the community, into the world in which we live. That's my dream. That's our dream for this church. That we one day, somewhere ahead of us, have raised so much money, so much stuff, that we'll be able to go out and have missionaries all over the place, plant churches wherever there needs to be churches, so that we can do whatever it is that God wants to do. But I say that with the caveat knowing that it's God's decision, not ours. We just dream and then watch what God is going to do and follow him, not ask him to follow our dreams. Verse 11, the one and the same spirit works all these things, note, distributing, note, to each one individually, note, just as he wills. It's his choice. What he has given to you has been his decision from the very beginning of time. He has something special for you and me to do. He has given us this gift so that we might faithfully do it to reach whomever it is he wants for us to reach. In whatever fashion. It can be done having the gift of helps and and just digging sand outside and and planting things so that the place gets more... uh, seemly and, 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 and is, is nicer. It can be done through the gift of administration where you hardly hang around with people, but, but things start to get done and all of a sudden the church starts to, to really strengthen itself and we need one another. No one gift is better than the other. No one gift is less than the other. Verse 18, But now God has placed the members, that's you and me, each one of us, In the body, take note, just as he desires. It's his choice. It always has been. The the miraculous gift that you have, the spiritual gift that you have, has been given to you by God to use for his glory within the body of Christ, for the common good. In other words, ultimately, for his good. And when his church flourishes, when this place flourishes and, 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 and becomes all that God wants us to become, then he is well pleased because people will be coming to know and believe in Jesus Christ. And that's our ultimate goal. Now let's take a look back at Acts chapter 19 at the problem that comes upon those who wish to have what only God can give. Verses 13 through 20. This team, in verse 13, of Jewish exorcists, those that want... By the way, this is really interesting because this week they had a a couple of programs on exorcism, on how to cast out demons. There's a guy, there's a guy that says he has the formula. Yeah, he has the formula and he teaches it. He teaches how to become an exorcist. Go to his class, you'll learn. Let me tell you, if you don't have the gift, don't you? You want to come out running out of place naked and wounded? Go ahead, try and cast out a demon all you want. But there's a team of Jewish exorcists. It says in verse 13, they were traveling from town to town. In other words, they were making their living by claiming to be able to heal and drive out demons. That was a common occurrence in Israel in those days. Look at Luke chapter 11. Turn back to the left from the book of Acts. You'll go past the book of uh, 
of John and to the book of, of Luke, chapter 11. Jesus was questioned about why he did what he did and under whose power was he doing it? By whose authority does he cast out demons? In verse, Luke chapter 11, verse 14, Jesus Christ was casting out a demon. This demon was mute. When the demon had gone out, the, the mute man spoke and the crowds were amazed. Verse 15, some of them said, well, he casts out demons by Beelzebub, who is the ruler of the demons. Others, to test Jesus Christ, were demanding of him a sign from heaven. See, it was never enough, folks, it never is enough. It was never enough that he cast out a demon. They wanted more, more, give me more, give me more. And all he wanted them to do was believe. There are some who want, always want more before they'll believe. When they have all the information they need right there in their heart. But they don't want to believe because they want more proof, more evidence. So they were demanding a sign from heaven. Verse 17 says, But he knew their thoughts. He said to them, Any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. A house divided itself will fall. In other words, if I'm going to... Well, he's going to tell us. Let's let him do it. He says in verse 18, If Satan is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebub. Verse 19, If I by Beelzebub cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? So they will be your judges. But he says in verse 20, If I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Again, what we see from this wonderful example is how God confirms his word by attesting miracles even through his son, Jesus Christ. And so it was commonplace, if you want to go back, please, to Acts chapter 19. It was commonplace for people to cast out demons or to try to heal people by by some other god, some other name, some other formula, so as to make this miracle work. So back at Acts chapter 19 and verse 15, these guys are trying to do this by the name of Jesus and the evil spirit answers and says to them, yeah, 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 I I recognize Jesus. Sure do. Yeah, I have no Paul. I've heard about him. He's a bad dude. Who are you? Just who are you? And then in verse 16, they found out very quickly that no one can control or duplicate what God and only God can do. The man who was in who was the evil spirit, leaped on them, subdued all of them, and overpowered them. And they fled that house, and they were naked and and wounded. This example shows us that knowing about Jesus Christ is not the same as personally knowing him. I, I recognize Jesus. I know about Paul. Who are you? They they were humiliated and they fled from that house, naked and wounded. These seven sons of Siva thought they could manipulate God, thinking that the right words or the right name or the correct technique or the correct process, they could exploit God and, and use Him for their own purposes, for their good. 
for their goals, or so they thought. Folks, you and I cannot use the right phraseology, the right techniques. There is no such thing. God will do miracles in and through your life when he sees fit. You and I cannot conjure that, that, that miracle or that, that thing up. So they failed to realize that Jesus Christ's power could not be accessed, could not be brought into their lives by reciting his name like a magic charm or a a genie. Come down, genie, do for me so these people can see that I am a healer. It doesn't work that way. Listen now and listen closely. God works his power only through those he chooses and only at the time and places that he determines. It's his business, not yours and not mine. And so we and I cannot get puffed up about what we do, and we cannot be discouraged about what we don't do. It's his business. Whether you're successful in your ministry or not is not the issue. What is at issue is are you willing to be used by God regardless of the results. Are you willing to use whatever spiritual gift that you have been given so as to honor God, and if he uses it to bring thousands of people to Christ, you cannot take it as, well, aren't you special? And if no one comes to Christ, you cannot say, well, I'm a failure. It's his business. All he asks of you and me is to be available, to try. And so what happens, though, is we see that God overrules in their misfortune. The end result is he uses all that they do incorrectly for his glory. Verses 17, 18, 19, and 20. These self-appointed exorcists were humbled, discredited, humiliated, but God was, well, look at verse 20. Verse 20 tells it all. It says, The word of the Lord God was growing mightily and prevailing. In return, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ came to be viewed throughout Ephesus as the most powerful name and not one to be taken lightly. God used their inabilities to exalt his name. Look what happens in verse 18. Many, many now who saw what took place by these guys running out of this house, naked and wounded, decided to believe. And they kept coming, it says in verse 18. They were confessing and they were disclosing their practices. That word practices in the Greek means their secret magic spells. And verse 19 tells us they did this in the sight of all. In other words, they showed everyone that they were going to turn from their sinful ways and they openly mark a genuine repentance. Let me, take, let me tell you something. Make no mistake about it. What you and I are reading in verses 18-19 is a revival in the city of Ephesus. Look at verse 19. 
It's, it, the staggering value of 50,000 pieces of silver was equivalent to approximately 50,000 days of work for an average laborer. It indicated how many books there were out there, how many people were following after evil spirits, how wicked Ephesus was. And it also indicated how willingly the people were to give of their money, of their whatever it is that was tied up in their books, and they burnt them unto the Lord. And so what are we left with? We're left with verse 20. The word of the Lord our God was growing mightily and prevailing. These events that took place in Ephesus powerfully demonstrated that the gospel was spreading and touching hearts and changing lives, and the church was being built in Ephesus right before the people's eyes, just as this church is being built. There are people that stand back in awe and wonder, what's going on there? It's off the beaten track. How come people are coming to that church? Jesus said about this type of an incident, as I already mentioned to you in Matthew 16, 18, he says, I say to you, your name's Peter. And upon this rock, not Peter, upon this rock, talking about himself, I will build my church. He didn't build the church upon Peter. He built the church upon his name. And the gates of hell shall not overpower it. Listen, folks, let me tell you one thing in warning. That does not mean that the powers of hell would surrender easily within your life and in my life or upon this church. We're in for a battle. The more and more we preach the word of God, the more and more the battle will get waged against us to try to discourage us, to try to stop us from doing what God is doing in and through our lives. We will daily have a battle, but the ultimate victory, we, we get the privilege, we get the privilege of going to the book of Revelation and reading, and we find out we win. We, we win. We won. The victory is ours, thanks to Jesus Christ. One day, like Sam or any of your loved ones who have gone to be with the Lord, we will be victorious alongside of our Savior. While we're here on this earth, we have a call. Christianity is not something that is just like a a wonderful, wonderful fire insurance plan. (laughs) Keeps you out of hell. I like that part of it. Believe me, that's the major reason I came to Christ. I knew that if I died, I was going to hell. Best hope I had was there's no, I was hoping there's no heaven. And I was hoping there was no hell. I just was hoping there was just nothing. But the more I understood about the word of God, the more I understand there is a heaven. There is a hell. And so fire insurance isn't so bad. I like the fact that I'm not going to hell. But I have not been given my salvation so as I don't go to hell. I've been given my salvation so that I use the gift that God has given me while I am alive so as that others might not go to hell. And each one of us has been given a responsibility. It's not just mine. It's not just the staffs. It's not just those guys on the tech team. It's not just the singers. It's every single one of us. 
doing our part, whatever that part is, so as to impact this community and wherever the Lord will take this church with the cause of Jesus Christ. We've got a good leg up because my wife tells me I don't sit in on meetings very much. I'm a very bad meeting person. I'm a bad administrator. But I'm hearing what a great place this is. We've got a leg up because we've got a staff that wants no credit for themselves. They just want to serve you and want to serve our Lord. We've got a good start. This is a good church. I wish I was 30 years younger so I could see everything God's going to do in and through your lives. I would love to be on the cutting edge with you. Well, I am right now. And I'll stay on it as long as the Lord gives me breath. I'm not going anywhere to want to retire. I'm not going to take a vacation this year. Don't want one. You know why? I want to be with you. I want to talk with you, and I want to love with you, and I want to teach the Word of God with you. You're my vacation. Plain and simple. I love you with all my heart. And so the passion of teaching God's Word from preachers that tell me, how do you do it? You don't take a vacation? Don't you burn out? How in God's name do you burn out doing what God's called you to do? It doesn't make sense to me. It never has. I've been doing it for I don't know how long. What? 86? I'm preaching. 86, 70, 90, 80, 80, 606, 20-some years. Been in the ministry longer than that. Never gotten tired of it yet. Here's my secret. I don't do anything I'm not supposed to do, though. I do whatever God's called me to do. That's it. I let all the other people who are gifted and talented do the rest. Let them get the blessings, too. Be used by God. You won't burn out. You will really be blessed by it. You'll be amazed how energized you are doing what God's called you to do. Father, please, open our eyes to see this great truth that Paul has taught us through these, uh, these so-called exorcists, people who try to use your glory for their purpose. May we never do that. But dear Father, please, please, dear Father, let us not put aside what you have given to us. Let us use what you have so miraculously given to us as a spiritual gift so that we might do miracles by your hands. So Lord, please, use this humble church in any fashion you see fit. Use us as a group of people in any way that you see fit, dear God so that we might, by the grace of an almighty God, see people come to know your Son. Come to heaven. Escape the bondage of hell. May we do that, Father. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I know I already told you I love you, but I do. Thank you so much for being here tonight. Can't wait to see you next week. God bless you. We love you so much. Thanks.